Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually help you discover and then live your why. You see, we believe that knowing your why, that driving force behind every decision you make and every action you take, is the essential first step to really knowing yourself. It allows you to move forward faster and have a bigger impact. If you're already a fan of the show, then you know that every week we talk about one of the nine whys, and then we introduce you to somebody with that why so you can see how their why has played out in their life. This show will be more powerful for you if you've already discovered your why. If you still need to do that, head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. It'll only take you about five minutes. Now, let's Welcome to meet Beyond Your Why guest. podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually helping you discover and then live your why. So if you're a regular listener, you know that every week we talk about one of the nine whys, and then we bring on somebody with that why so we can see how their why has played out in their life. And so today we're going to be talking about the why of better way. So if this is your why, then you are the ultimate innovator and you are constantly seeking better ways to do everything. You find yourself wanting to improve virtually anything by finding a way to make it better. You also desire to share your improvement with the world. You constantly ask yourself questions like, what if we tried this differently? What if we did this another way? How can we make this better? You contribute to the world with better processes and systems while operating under the motto, I'm often pleased, but never satisfied. You are excellent at associating, which means you're adept at taking ideas or systems from one industry or discipline and applying them to another, always with the ultimate goal of improving something. So today I've got a great guest for you. Her name is Rini Cavallari. She is the founder, CEO, and chief instigator of Aspire, a global transformational training and culture development company that specializes in inspired learning that shifts human behavior and awakens potential. She is also the founder of RCI Institute, an active thinking and people technology lab, an award-winning international strategist, speaker, and leadership expert with a vast grasp of business and its challenges. She has driven measurable results for businesses with her innovative solutions around the world for over 30 years. Rini, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Gary. Thank you so much. This is going to be fun. So Rini, tell everybody, where are you right now? What city are you in? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a little warm, but I am here just about to leave on Friday for a 45 day book tour. Oh, that's awesome. Well, where did now? So bring us up to speed on you. Where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How did you get into being a strategist, an author, a speaker? Kind of tell us your story. All right. Well, I grew up in Philly. I'm a scrappy kid from Philly, and uh, my parents were both teachers. And I went to college at FSU. I got very lucky and joined corporate America right out of college and had amazing mentors and people helping me learn and grow, started in sales and, and was honestly endlessly curious all the time and eventually had several great opportunities in the hospitality industry, working for various companies. And actually, 26 years ago, I started a company called Powered by Aspire. And we, as you mentioned, do transformational work. And we're really about awakening the potential of people. And um, that work just was, when you talk about understanding your why, that just was, I knew what I was supposed to be doing. I just wasn't aware of it early on. But 26 years ago, I got very clear. 
And that clarity has been, you know, such a gift. I'm also a mama. I have a 20 year old daughter. I have a married, I'm just recently married. And on April 17th, I got married. And also in that beautiful transaction, I got another daughter, Allison and her husband, Greg. And I'm, I have a three and a half year old grandson too, Aiden. Wow. That is a lot. Congratulations <laughs> on the marriage. That's exciting. Thank you. Okay. So take us back 26 years ago. What was that moment that you realized, hey, I got to go start this Powered by Aspire? What happened? What were you doing? What were you thinking? What was going on? And how did you come up with that? So I was in a very you know, fancy corporate job. I was SVP of a medium-sized, good-sized company. And the partners offered me a partnership and to become the COO as well. And it was this, I remember I kept thinking, I should feel so happy about this. And I was certainly grateful for the opportunity, but I wasn't happy. And I asked for the weekend and I stopped and really sat with it and literally came in on Monday morning and said, thank you very much. I quit. And it was about that I became aware that I wasn't aspiring, and hence the name of the company, to really what I loved to do. I was doing what was next in the chain of tradition of, you know, you go from here to here and my gosh, you know, you're going to be COO and isn't that fabulous and next you'll be that. And all of a sudden I made me awake and I wasn't sure I didn't have a plan, which is crazy because I have been a strategist. And strategists tend mm-hmm. to overplan everything. And I sat back and I was having dinner with a girlfriend and she said, you should start your own firm. And I had actually thought of that, that I wanted to start a firm 10 years before, but not with this. It was kind of a crazy snap-on tools for diaper delivery business, a whole separate mm-hmm. entrepreneurial story. But that's really what happened is that my girlfriend, Brenda, X-Line said to me, she had a really successful ad agency. And she said, you know, if you're too afraid to do it, I'll be your partner. And it was the greatest thing anyone could say, because I thought, heck, I don't need a partner. If she believes in me, I, you know, I, I should go do this. That so was that. Tell us, okay. So you say you weren't happy. Why were you not happy? I didn't like operating the business. I didn't like the work because in the operation, I wasn't connected to my why which was about awakening people and about, you know, when you're awakening people, it really does tie to finding a better way. Like how do you keep improving and giving people the opening to find what they want next to live to their potential? Because when you're living in your potential, you're living in joy, right? That's it. And to me, success equals joy. That's my success meter. And so I just knew like, I don't like this work. And so that opportunity woke me up to, if you don't like what you're doing, you know, no wonder you're starting to get grumpy. You know, things started to irritate me too much. And that wasn't really my nature. And so it was really, I mean, a fantastic learning moment because when I find myself in that same place, because it does come up throughout your life where you're looking around going, I am not in my happy space. But for me, that's the moment where I can change my thinking and think about what it is that I want versus what it is I am doing. Yeah. And so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that may be in that not so happy place and don't really know how to put their finger on exactly what it is they're not happy with. They just know they're not happy. You know, they don't like what they're doing, but they're doing it because they got to make a paycheck. So 
you were fortunate, mm-hmm. it sounds like, at a young age to be able to make that transition. So how did yes, you determine, I was. Yeah, how did you determine what you were then going to go do? Because now you're you're making snap-on tools for baby diapers, <laughs> right? And so how do you uh, decide, well, I think I'm going to go start uh, Powered by Aspire. How does that happen? Yeah. So actually, I never did that business of the snap-on tool concept where oh, you actually oh. delivered diapers. I, it, it was a concept that never got off the ground. That was the <laughs> first entrepreneurial moment for me, I think. So you know what? I actually, because I, I knew what I loved to do, I was really clear on that. And I thought, well, if I'm going to start a business, and I didn't have any people in my life that were entrepreneurs. My father was a teacher. My mother was a teacher's assistant. There wasn't a map of that. But I just knew like, if I do what I love, the odds are I should be pretty good at it. And then I kind of put it out there and started thinking about it. And then I got a phone call from someone who I'd worked with for years. And it was the greatest gift because you know, there's nothing like mentors and people that you imprint on that you don't realize that you've done something and imprinted on them and they, you know, and they're giving back to you. And, and his name is Paul Margetson. And he, he called me up and he said, so Rini, what is your financial nut? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like kind of a personal question. It wasn't like he was a good friend. He was a business associate. And I, I told him the number and it wasn't much you know, I was single. It wasn't like I had made this big decision. And by the way, the company came back to me that I had resigned from and said, you know, we need nine months. So I had time to formulate, you know, and I think that's important for people to understand. Like when you want to make a shift, you don't have to make it like in a nanosecond, you start to think and, and you start to explore, like, what do I love and who can I connect with? And how can I leverage that? You certainly have done that in your, you know, your chapters of your life. And then it starts to move because you gain clarity of it. And so Paul called me up and said, you know, I'm going to hire you. You just told me you're nut that my, I gave him my nut a month at, for the month. And he said, I'm going to pay you. I want you to send me a proposal of what I'm going to pay you for. And it was such a gift in so many ways because, I mean, obviously the financial freedom was lifted, you know, became clear and it wasn't a big nut. So But on the other hand, it was this opportunity he gave me to create the kind of firm I would want to work for. And from that, I said, you know, we're going to work on, you know, how do we transform people so that we shift their behavior so they can perform at higher levels. And when they perform at higher levels, not only do they feel better and continue to grow, but they're obviously their organizations continue to perform. And Aspire has a 96% retention of our clients year over year for 26 years. And I would tell you that that's at the foundation of it, that when, you know, when there is performance, because it's not fluffy stuff working in culture and leadership, you know, well, some people it might be, but in our firm, it's certainly not. It's about this higher, higher level. And there's nothing that turns me on more than that. Like watching people soar, Love it. I'll drink that Kool-Aid. I'll drink that Kool-Aid every day. <laughs> so you started Powered by Aspire 26 years ago. And what was your vision for it? What is it? Tell I, I'm not sure exactly what is Powered by Aspire. Tell us what that is. So its vision, its why is to awaken human potential. Mm-hmm. It's been that for 26 years. And basically, we are a transformational company. We work on transforming and um, performance improvement. And so we do training, we do leadership development, we do a lot of cultural alignment. 
so that when you understand the company, why, how, what, Mm -hmm. that, that alignment allows for trajectory. And so we work on those solutions for our clients. And as their strategies change, we custom build training so that they can bring their people along in the changes that are occurring. And uh, so that's really what Aspire does. And we have quite a bit of IP, intellectual property. And these proven processes are focused on what we call people technology, the ability to these tools that allow people to understand where their performance is and how to grow and how to what kind of mindset is you know going to take them to where they want to go, what skills they need. So there's a whole variety of tools in our people technology war chest. Mm. So that when they perform at a higher level, then they experience more joy. They sure do. And they stick with you as they grow in their career and the companies that they work for, you know, there's just a, a beautiful kind of synergy amongst it all, you know? Mm. So it brings, you know, I feel so grateful that I do work where I, you know, the intimacy of the relationships become of the best value there is like, that's, you know, I do need to be paid. And the intimacy of the relationships are, you know, really at the source of and the heart of our business. It sounds like you've, uh, you enjoy showing people a better way to live a more inspired life. Yeah. So when I read that, and actually when my team read it, like there was a lot of laughter. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I could have, that was autobiographical and I couldn't have written it for myself as well as it was written. So, yeah. And including the not so beautiful parts, uh, which were so delicately put, I think my team might have been a little more direct on that part. Well, I know that constant and never ending improvement. (laughs) I know what it's like because I live that same world. And so we can't turn it off, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. You go to bed thinking about better ways, you wake up thinking about better ways, you can't turn it off, you didn't choose it. It's just how we function, but it does have its pluses. Yes, absolutely. So tell us about, then you wrote a book, right? You've written like six books, but your latest book is called what? Head Trash, The Leading Killer of Human Potential. So tell us about that. It's a better way for what? Well, actually, when we understand what our head trash is Mm -hmm. and we learn how to shift our head trash, get out of our head trash, then all of a sudden we can turn on our, you know, our performance, our happiness, our everything. And so head trash is really kind of a look at what's going on in that brain of ours and uh, that we have this physical brain that we're all aware of that's very functional. And then we have an emotional brain that is all about feelings and thoughts and the emotional brain. We don't talk a lot about, you know, we talk about mindset with the emotional brain is more complex than just, I should be positive. I should be positive. I should be positive. You know, we need to understand that there's two sides to that emotional brain. And when we get that there's two sides, the disconnected side of the emotional brain, which is where negativity lives and fear lives and anxiety and worry and concern, all those kind of difficult negative emotions. And also that has physical implications too, like, you know, shortness of breath or, you know, our body can become distressed in that side of our emotional brain. And the goal of life is to get over to the connected side of your emotional brain. And the more time you spend on the connected side, then the more creativity you have, collaboration, happiness, joy, 
you know, you're in gratitude and appreciation when you're over on that side. And that opens up your world. So when we understand how to really dump our head trash, then we change anything we want because we have clarity. But when we're in, you know, when you're up late, when you can't fall asleep and that tape is going and the nasty voices are on you, it's hard to gain clarity in a way that's productive. Mm, I like that. How do you define head trash? Head trash are the little voices in your head that are undermining you in any way they can. So they're that self-talk that gets turned on and it's a loop usually. It can come from things like the imprints of your past. It can come from, you know, certainly experiences that you have with someone. Your head trash can come from your, clearly, your head trash is about your thoughts. And Mm -hmm. so we feel the way we think. So a lot of times we're trying to change how we feel. That's why, you know, if we just take a drug or we do, we can change how we feel, but it's not really getting at the core. When we change how we think, that changes how we feel and how we feel determines ultimately what, how we're going to behave, what action we're going to take. So if we feel crappy and we take action, it's usually not our best self, or I'll at least speak for myself. And so when you become more literally aware of it, then you can stop yourself and start to say, okay, how do I shift out of this? Mm. And that's really what the book focuses on. It focuses on that we all have head trash and the understanding of it. And then really the model of own it, shift it, dump it. And how do you do that? So that again, as you said, you have more joy in your life because the less head trash you have, the more space for the things that you love and want, and and even your aspirations, even the things that you might be frustrated by because you don't have them, you have the space to go after them versus feel crappy and therefore you're stuck. Mm, Yeah. So what motivated you to write a book about head trash? Well, first of all, I consider myself an expert on head trash. (laughs) I was hoping you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I am up there. You, people ask me my expertise. So how, how long have you been a strategist? And what's your most successful you know, strategy or all this other kind of baloney, really? What am I an expert at? I can speak to head trash. So having worked for 26 years with people and behind the scenes, the RCI Institute, which is another firm that I own, the Institute has been studying human behavior and it's live human behavior. So Aspire executes the work. And so we've worked with thousands of leaders around the globe. We've worked with tens and thousands of of salespeople, customer service people. So we have this large group, imagine, you know, 26 years of working with people and really being able to understand how do you shift performance? And the RCI Institute, our job is to get in there and really create these processes and prove them so that people have real tools to be able to move. And that's where the book came from. So this is really my work of 26 years of being curious about people and helping people find improvement and find where they want to go. And to also in the book, you know, I don't think you can write about head trash. I think it's kind of inappropriate to write about head trash and talk about other people's head trash. Mm. And so, you know, especially since I have plenty of it and I work on it. So it's not just the proven processes on an intellectual level. It's my own personal journey in there of, you know, 
from some people's perspective, I, you know, I may look successful, but I'm equally a big old mess as everybody else. And I work on the same challenges. And hopefully this book is helping people to move to the, a higher quality of life, like what they really want versus where they find themselves. Mm. The, the second thing is I was almost through this book, Gary, and then COVID hit. And that I had to put the wheels on it. You know, I, I mean, no, put the brakes on it. I always get the sayings wrong. Put the brakes on it and come back to it after a couple of months. And what I've observed in that time, we studied um, over 100 top performing leaders over that time. And we started to really zero in on who was able to lead success and who was not able to lead success, which, of course, for me became another piece of the book. And I really felt like as we had this pandemic called COVID-19, we've now coming out of it, we have an epidemic of head trash and we've got all this stuff in our heads and, you know, our lack of control is, you know, and our anger towards what happened and our feelings towards how I want to work and how do I want to like my life. And that all that is on that disconnected side of our emotional brain. And we got to help people get to the other side. So. Are there certain number of different types of head trash or is there unlimited numbers of head trash or how do you know? I mean, is there like, okay, there's five head trashes or how does that work? Okay. So head trash is just head trash because everyone's head trash looks different. You know, like some head trash we can all relate to because it's like that question of, am I good enough? Or can I count on you? Like there's some kind of threads that we all kind of, you know, think about. But we've identified what we call the four big lies in our disconnected side. And the four big lies are the four things that we all have. And we all have one of these four. And then there's all the other stuff that's in head trash. So that's all usually more incidental, like it's reflective of a specific thing that occurred, but it ties back to something else. Mm. So it ties back to one of these four big lies. And the four big lies are, I must be right. I must never lose. Everyone must always love me. And I must always feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so when we can identify that, that's kind of our big trigger. And when we can identify that, it's kind of like with your, when you discover your why, you can discover what your motivation in life is, right? When you discover your big lie, you discover what is holding you back, where you go when you're stuck. And when you understand, when you can acknowledge where you go and, and understand where you go when you're stuck, then you can get out of it. Ah, so when you're stuck, then you can go back to the four and say, okay, which one of those four is the one that I'm focused on right now? Or the one that's like in my head all the time that I got to change so that I can actually move through this or get past this. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, actually, it's even easier than that. Okay. We all only have one. So when you, you know, if I was to say, you know, so that I must be right, they tend to, when, now, see, when we're in our connected side of our emotional brain, none of this applies. It's just when we're in the disconnected side, in that negative or fearful or worry, anxiety, all those really challenging emotions, then that's where one of these lies live. And it's not like you get to change it up in your life. It just oh. is. And so whatever, so, you know, the I must be right, they must be right. And they dig in and they will get analytical and they will tell you why they are right. 
And it is, and the only way to help them is to help them be right and shift them and move them out. And the book really goes into how do you do that for yourself and then also for others? Then also there's the I must never lose, which you are looking at and I must never lose right here. And so we will do anything for the win. We're like, but in that process, we can be inconsiderate. We're, you know, we're driving at solving that problem. We will not let that, we will not, it's a bone that we won't let go. And we're going to go and we're going to go. And then also though, if you can't help us win, then you mean nothing to us. And we just don't do it on purpose, but that's the, I must win, like just so like rhinoceros focused. And then you have the, everybody must love me where everything is about connection. And so if they feel a sense of disconnect, they really can't function. They worry like it's so they're the excessive people pleasing need. And so, you know, like, and I must win, you know, I I'm a people pleaser in my, when I'm on my connected side, I don't think about pleasing anybody when I'm on my disconnected side. <laughs> like I, I'm just all about the end game. And so, but that everybody must love me, must feel that connection when things are chaotic and they're worried or fearful. And then the, I must be comfortable is tricky because they wouldn't be comfortable with any of this. They don't like, they, they kind of, they're really change adverse, cannot handle uh, any kind of conflict or chaos well. And they tend to stay quiet. And then there you go, postal people, where all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're thinking everything was okay. And they just let it rip. And so when you understand these about yourself and other people, now you can be supportive of them as well as yourself. It's funny listening to you as you go through those four, I can see certain people in those, me included, you know, because I think I'm, I think how you describe yourself is pretty much how I would describe myself. When I'm focused on a problem and I got to get that problem done, I'm not worried if you love me or not, but in general, I would focus more in the you know, want to be liked area. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's very so similar. Like, I don't know how that would apply or connect to the why, but it's uh, seeing as you and I have the same why, I'm, I'm wondering how that goes together or if it does. That would be interesting to yeah, know. Yeah, I think that your why is like this motivational switch. It's really, and it's in that connected side where your big lie is literally lives and it's only turned on on the disconnected side. And what intrigued me with the big, with the why is that when you are focused on the why, you're on the connected side of your emotional brain and mm-hmm. therefore you can gain clarity. So that's a cool way to get yourself back over to where you're going to be productive because you're really not productive on the disconnected side. And that's when people get stuck there and we have to help people out of that mess. So, uh, but yeah, the four big lies are based on literally tens of thousands of people studying them through Aspire and our work. And what is it that allows us to, because if you think about performance improvement, basically is a jazzed up way of saying, we're going to change the crap you're doing, right? We're going to tell you're doing it this way and you feel comfortable. We're going to take you out of your comfort zone, which most people don't generally like. And we're going to suggest, we're going to help you get to this level of doing it. But that means that this is going to change. So your little people go nuts. Mm. You know, now some of us get crazy and excited about it where another person might be afraid. But what if I fear, you know, what if I fail? What if I'm not as good as I used to be? What if I get passed by? all that. And so when we understand the big lie, we can coach people and develop people a lot different. And this helps our leaders have compassion, have an ability to work with people in a more effective way so they can get to where they potentially can go 
but not by hammering it home. You know, the beatings. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, Rini, if people are listening to, well, you know what? Before that, I, I'd love for you to maybe you can give us an example. You can give us a story. Maybe it's your own story of how head trash affects you and then how you get out of it. And then what happens when you get out? How much time do we have? <laughs> Four minutes. <laughs> okay. Got it. Um, okay. So head trash. How, well, there are many, many stories. You know, I write a story in the book about I'm in the off the Amalfi coast and it's beautiful. And I we're on this beautiful boat and I'm with my daughter and another friend. And we're, you know, about to go to the blue hole, which is a spectacular place. And I am secretly very afraid of drowning. And I have an imprint from way long ago. I can explain it all, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is we're in the middle of the ocean. And they jump out, the two of them jump out, and we have our life jackets on, and they start swimming off. And I literally have a panic attack. Like I am just panicked. I'm going to jump in. You know, what if I drown? What if they drown? My daughter is only nine. And what kind of mother am I? And the head trash starts. And I can barely get myself in. And here, this is a dream. Like we've been planning this. There's everything about it that's wonderful. It's never dawned on me, like, but it just came to me. And I jump in, you know, eventually jump in the water and, and, and I'm flapping around and I'm not having a good time. And I get out and I feel really bad. I feel like a loser. I feel like a terrible mom. I'm embarrassed. I mean, like you, you name it. It's like, it's no good. And really for me at that moment, you know, I didn't have the tools to understand what I needed to be thinking. And, you know, and so a lot about our head trash is the questions that we ask that keeps us in our head trash. So I kept, you know, asking, why did we do this? What if we drowned? You know, am I a good enough swimmer? Like not things that are serving me versus if I had the skills to understand that the questions that I could have immediately turned on is like, you know, so what about this is going to be fun? And what are the safety precautions that I can look around for? And what else can I be thinking about? Like what else would help me jump off with ease? Like if I was if I had been more adapted at that time, and this was many, many years ago, then I would have had a whole different experience. And I would have actually seen the blue hole, mm. but I didn't. I had to get back on the boat and like recover by myself and feel bad about it and blah, blah, blah. And so I missed out on this joyful moment. But fortunately, my daughter got to see the blue hole. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's kind of an example of when we have the tools, we can really work on anything. Mm. And the book is really there to help us be okay with it first. And I wasn't okay with it. And therefore, I got stuck in it. And mm. then you just dig in. And yeah. you know, we, we do that dance. Attach meaning to it. And then it means this. And I'm a that. And all the rest. Right. And the well, next thing you know, I'm no longer a decent mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Rini, if people are listening and they say, you know what? I'd really love to connect with Rini. I'd love to learn more about the Powered by Aspire and the RCI Institute. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Okay. So they can reach me at Rini at myheadtrash.com. For resources on head trash, they can go to myheadtrash.com backslash VIP. And at the VIP, then you can get in there and we are about to start the big lie test. It will be up in the next week. So that's another opportunity for them to explore and um, just send me your questions. I'm happy to help. That's great. So last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten or the best piece of advice you've ever given? 
The best piece of advice I've ever gotten. Ooh, that just depends on what day. Um, <laughs> so much great advice and so many great mentors. You know, I think I'll just go with where, what I more recently, something that came up mm-hmm. for me. Sure. And that was years and years ago when I was in corporate America. Well, I'm still in corporate America, but when I was working for a CEO and he was a really tough guy and we were in this kind of thick discussion, it wasn't a pleasant discussion. And I'll never forget. He said, Rini, I pay you to think. And recently I found myself, I'm really kind of like chasing it a lot. You know, like I'm just on the move too fast. And I, I don't like that feeling because it's like way out of control. It's not strategic. It's not how I like to operate. And that just came back to me of what am I doing here that I need to stop doing? And it was that I had stopped what we call it a spiral. We call it TPM, think, prepare, move. And that I had just gotten so programmed because of COVID and we were moving and moving and moving to, you know, work hard on the company and help our clients. And how do we survive? And all of us have been in survival. So we're moving to do whatever we can to learn more, to do more, to try new things more, whatever it is. And it became a habit versus being really thoughtful about what I'm moving on. And so that's a something that for me right now, Literally in the last 24 hours, it got me back to the connected side of my emotional brain to go, okay, wait a minute here. And to rethink things so that I can get back to being, you know, having more proactive movement again, because I feel like I just go, go next, next. And, um, and I know I look around and I have a lot of friends and peers and people that I work beside, you know, all kinds of people. And they feel the same way. This kind of high level energy zone that's not sustainable. It's like a high pitch. And for me to get off that pitch, that's it. Mm, I pay you to think. So I get rid of the, I pay myself to think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As an entrepreneur. Need some thinking time. Well, Rini, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Thanks for being here. It's been great to get to know you another better way person. And I I can just jive right with what you're saying and how you're thinking and how you created all the things that you did. So thank you for spending uh, this time with us. And I look forward to staying in contact as we move forward. Absolutely. Thank you, Gary. Have a great afternoon. You too. Okay. So now it's time for our new segment, which is Guess Their Why. And so I want you guys to think about the why of Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson just won the Big tournament, the PGA Championships at age 50. Nobody had ever done that. The oldest guy to win a major tournament. And he did it by changing the way he thinks and how he focuses. And so I'm curious what you think his why is. And for me, his why, I believe that his why is mastery. I believe his why is mastery. He's somebody that loves all the detail, the nuances, the depth. The breadth, spending hours after hours practicing these different shots, learning new ways to dive in deep and figuring out how to excel at different levels. And so, he, like I said, he became the oldest man in history to win a major, and he's always striving for greatness, but he focused this time on focus. How can I stay focused for the amount of time that I need to, to win the master. So what he would do is go out and play as many holes as he could 
and stay focused. So he was playing like 36, 45 holes a day, getting ready for the mass or for the PGA to be able to train his mind to focus. He's done the same sort of thing with eating, same sort of thing with different clubs. He's always tinkering and finding different ways, but not at a superficial level, diving in really, really deep. He knows more about golf than probably anybody around. I mean, he's just that kind of guy that loves the nuances and the details, and he loves to explain them. So he dives in deep, studies it, learns it, does it, executes it, and then teaches it and explains it. So I believe his why is mastery. So if any of you know him, I would love to discover his why, and then we'll prove it. But for me, I think it's mastery. And so I want to thank you for listening. Now, if you are listening and you have not yet discovered your why, you can do so at whyinstitute.com. You can use the code podcast50, and you can discover your why for half price. If you love the Beyond Your Why podcast, please don't forget to subscribe below and leave us a review and rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to our podcast. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you next week. Have a great week. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and that through today's guest, you heard how important it is to know your why and how impactful it can be in your life and the lives of those around you. Be sure to head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. Remember, the more you know about yourself, the more you'll know about others. I'm Dr. Gary Sanchez, and I'll see you on the next episode.